Would I be accepted as I truly am in the community of faith? Will I be judged or shamed or ignored? Our series that we're uh, in the second week of is Uncomfortable, where we are exploring the various ways in which being part of a community of faith, being part of a church community, is, uh, is, is something that requires of us some conscious effort, at the very least. It's not always something that we would naturally gravitate toward. There are aspects of uh, being a member of a church community that are less than comfortable. This morning, uh, we will base our exploration on really just one verse from the eighth chapter of Mark's gospel, the 34th verse, which reads, He, that is Jesus, called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. This is uh, a verse that has been wrestled with and which has caused some anxiety and some confusion even over the generations. What does it mean for us to take up our cross and to follow Jesus? We've spoken about how the mainline churches in the United States have been struggling in recent decades. We've speak, we speak of this often and openly. The first sermon that I ever preached here at at Prince of Peace, I put up charts and graphs to kind of visually indicate for us the trends, not just in the Lutheran church, but in, in across the denominational uh, spectrum here in this country as uh, membership has been in decline and uh, hundreds, uh, low thousands of congregations close their doors, hold their final worship service and close each year. Uh, that number, again, just so you hear that out loud, uh, the number of mainline congregations that, that hold their final worship service and close is into the thousands in the United States each and every year and has been now for a couple of decades. We've heard from many of those people out there who are seeking some authentic religious experience that say they are even maybe self-identify as Christians, but are, uh, for various reasons, less and less likely to go looking for that experience in a mainline church. Uh, this is something that has been well established now. Uh, speaking generally, many people indicate that they've become suspicious of really any large organization. This is something that we hear often. As pastors, uh, we often hear some version of, of this refrain, yeah, I, I'm a believer, but I'm just not into organized religion. And after all, the church is an organization, right? It's branded and uh, trademarked and marketed. There are slogans and mottos and, and logos right? Open hearts, open minds, open doors. 
say, the United Methodists in one of, I think, one of the better kind of church-wide slogans out there. Open hearts, open minds, open doors. Freely following Jesus, say the Unitarian Universalists. Freely following Jesus. Evangelical truth and apostolic order. Anybody want to guess where that one comes from? It's the Episcopalians. How are they not booming in growth? No, that's not fair. I should not be teasing my Episcopalian brothers and sisters, but they are about uh, proper approaches, evangelical truth and apostolic order, uh, things done right and proper. Uh, here's one, love is a verb, speaking up and showing up. It's pretty good, huh? And you might be surprised where this one comes from. Uh, that is, in fact, a motto from the Mennonites. Love is a verb, speaking up and showing up. Uh, our recent church-wide uh, gathering of the ELCA had a kind of guiding theme, which was simple and direct. We are church. Uh, another motto recently embraced by the ELCA is always being made new. So all of these efforts to define the community of faith and be welcoming, or if not welcoming exactly, at least reaching out to like-minded people, right? And still we hear, yeah, but I'm not into all of that. I'm just not into organized religion. You see, the thing is, no matter how you market it, the church is full of people, and lots of them are probably not like me. I may not fit in just right, and that all just feels uncomfortable. And this is the theme we've been pursuing and will for the next few weeks. The truth is, people in every age have struggled with this question, you know, where, where should I look for Jesus? The guiding questions for much of this generation have been, can I be spiritual but, but not religious? Believing but not belonging. For some, the questions are even deeper and, and more personal, really. Would I be accepted as I truly am in the community of faith? Will I be judged or shamed, or ignored? What does Jesus ask of those of us who would follow him? Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And we are here, most of us, because we have chosen not to remain neutral. We've chosen or have somehow been chosen to follow Jesus, to grow deep and reach out, our motto, if you will, our mission statement, with the love of Christ through this community of faith. We believe in our baptisms, as uh, little Cooper is about to receive this promise, that we've been clothed in Christ, and that is something that can never be taken away. It is given, not earned. It is bestowed, not achieved. But others are not so sure. Many are still looking for faith, 
for some authentic experience of Jesus, their question often is, where do I find Jesus? Where should I look? I was hungry, Jesus said. I was thirsty. I was a stranger. I was naked, sick, and in prison, Jesus said. When did we see you hungry, thirsty, a stranger, naked, sick, or in prison? And Jesus left no doubt as to what he meant. Truly I say to you, for inasmuch as you do it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. In other words, Jesus says to his church, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And community, organized religion, if you will, can be uncomfortable. Letting yourself be known by others is, is a, a vulnerable thing to do. Allowing my problems to become your problems may well cost you something, as it does me. We gather for worship in front of the cross, this symbol of the depth of God's love for us in Christ, which dominates our worship space and sits high atop steeples and is worn on necklaces around necks. That cross reminds us that each of us is broken, that the world is broken by sin. And so we gather around this font again this morning to be reminded of who we are. And we are reminded that the Jesus we've been seeking has come looking for us to tell us something about taking up our own cross on behalf of others, to tell us something about ourselves, and to, be, and to remind us about the kind of Savior that he insists on being, a Savior who stoops down to wash the dusty feet of his own followers and friends, a Savior that did not move among royalty to gain power and credibility, but instead embraced the least of these. A Savior who calls us always to do the same. And none of this makes for a very appealing public relations campaign, right? Hey, come to Prince of Peace where you will be encouraged to give some of your precious time to help others in need. You will be challenged to give a portion of your hard-earned money to support a ministry of outreach and compassion, not only locally but around the world. Uh, while you're at it, maybe you could spare a pint of blood at our next blood drive or serve a funeral luncheon uh, like we'll have tomorrow morning or teach Sunday school or chaperone a youth trip. Oh, we're not done yet. How about giving up a couple of weeks of vacation, a bunch of your own money to go serve people in need in Jamaica or, or Chicago or East Africa or South Dakota or Minneapolis? We do these things all the time around here. No wonder Paul described the cross as a stumbling block, something to be tripped over. When Jesus was preparing his followers to continue building the community of faith after he would physically leave them, he said, little children, I will be with you only a little longer. I give you a new commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. 
And, you know, it always sounds simple enough. I mean, Jesus could have, could have levied, you know, 613 laws. You know, little children here, memorize these 613 laws like the Pharisees. Or, or maybe Jesus could have, could have doubled and said, hey, here's, I leave you with 1,226 laws. I want you to memorize them, live by them, follow them, demand that the rest of the community follow them as well. No, all Jesus said He kept it simple. Love one another, not because I have loved you. Jesus didn't say, hey, love one another because I have loved you. No, Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. Love the way I love. A love that calls us together into the community of faith. As Pastor Natalia reminded us last week, it does not depend on our own abilities or even our personal preferences so much. Not always about me. This whole church thing is much bigger than that. It's bigger than any one of us. And yet each of us is called to be a part of it. This is pure gift. I will close with some words of our, our bishop, uh, Bishop Eaton. But first I'll remind us of Jesus' words Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Through that cross, Jesus redeemed the hypocrisy of Peter. Lord, I would die with you before I would deny you, and yet he denied Jesus three times when Jesus needed him the most. This cross Jesus would use to redeem the self-serving ambition of James and John. Jesus, when you come into your power, let one of us sit at your left. Let the other sit at your right. We'll rule with you, Jesus. Little did they know who would be at the right and the left of Jesus when he came into his glory on that cross. Through the cross, Jesus would lift Paul from his own self-serving claim of being blameless under the law. A Pharisee of Pharisees, Paul would claim and issued murderous threats against those who would follow Jesus. Bishop Eaton wrote, this is the message that the Lutheran movement still has to speak to the rest of the world. God loves us. God means well for us and for the world. God's love is deep and constant, and God's love is not sentimental. The incarnation was not a whim, Emmanuel, God with us, was a deliberate immersion into human brokenness in order to bring about healing and wholeness. Too often, Bishop Elizabeth wrote, the image of Christianity seen in popular culture is of a judgmental, transactional God demanding perfection from an imperfect people. The Lutheran movement, she wrote, represents an alternative face of Christianity to the world. Grace, God's love freely given, is God's work. It is not our doing. It is a gift. It is freedom. Our family probably joined several of, uh, of you in, uh, in uh, dropping off kids at college this weekend. We uh, dropped our youngest off, Clara, at uh, San Diego State University, and you know, it's a hard moment to, to leave your kid behind like that. Uh, I see so many of you shaking your heads. Uh, so I, for one, am glad uh, and grateful for this promise that, uh, that, that our children know they have been uh, marked with the cross of Christ, they've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, that this is forever, it can't be taken away. Little, 
Cooper received that promise. Now we're all reminded that that's who we are. That's who God says we are. There is no other organization out there uh, making this gift available to people other than the church. So uh, if, 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 if this is the, the gift that has been entrusted to us, how can we not uh, work as hard as we are capable of working to make sure this gift is shared with others? We drop our eldest off, Lydia, at, at Gustavus later this afternoon. Uh, so uh, I don't, if, you're, if you're so inclined, you might say a prayer for us. We are suddenly empty nesters, at least, you know, till Thanksgiving. Uh, so uh, we're all in this together, though, right? Yeah. Uh, so do we go now in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.